Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're very glad you're joining us on this Thursday here in Tucson, Arizona. Reason for Hope is a live hour-long broadcast which is guided for the most part by your questions on the Bible. We're on multiple online platforms live as we speak and you can send in your questions through those various platforms and the chat functions and chat boxes etc and even our email address and we will take those questions and we will throw them out to these wonderful men of the Lord and we will jump into the Bible and find the answers to those questions. And that's what we do. <laughs> the most simple form I can explain. Well, I'm glad it. we got that straight. <laughs> yes, that's, <laughs> right. that's what will happen. So everybody knows what's going to happen. You don't have to be scared. That's what we're, that's the procedure on today. So we're, we're glad you're joining us and certainly uh, you, we welcome your questions as well. Uh, as long as it's an honest question, as long as you know the Bible's the source of the answers, it could be a, a verse or passage of scripture, it could be something you're even going through in your own life, you'd like a biblical perspective, uh, maybe Christianity as a whole, something that you've heard that may uh, contradict you think with the Bible or the Christian worldview, anything along those lines, uh, send those questions in and we will endeavor to get to those on our broadcast today. My name is Dave Robson, I'm your host and I'll be keeping an eye on all those platforms as we go along. Today we have father-son team. I don't know if you're all aware. Father-son, Pastor Scott Richards and Pastor Sean Richards over there. You can guess, you know, which one's which. They could be brothers, I think. I don't know, but you guys same do. Size. Well, same size. Same size. In a certain sense, we're brothers. Yes. We're well, father and true. son and brothers. That's so. true. You're both. Yeah. 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 So I remember when the show was just on the radio, it was hard to tell, like, who was who sometimes. So, is that Sean talking or is that Scott? You know, Plausible same. deniability. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. <laughs> that's what that's what we trade in around exactly. here. Well, thank you for for being here and making the time and for this ministry. I know many many people appreciate um, that. So as I as I mentioned, the reason for hope. It's a live broadcast Monday through Friday. We're with you live. We we broadcast here in Tucson, Arizona. It's a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship of uh, Tucson. So you can go to our website, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. You'll find us live there. If you go to that live uh, tab. Anytime we're live, uh, that's where we stream too. So our service is here at Calvary Christian Fellowship uh, on Sundays and Wednesday evening we have a service as well. And as I say, uh, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for a reason for hope. So when we're live, if you go to that page, the direct link ccftucson.online.church, that's ccftucson.online.church, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. When we're live, you see the video there, you can sign in with a username and then be part of the show through the uh, chat function there. And when we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule, so you don't have to miss a thing. Uh, we're also live on Facebook. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson is the page. You can find us there, facebook.com slash Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. If you've been blessed by this ministry, share us around. We'd love a further reach. But you can use the chat function there to send in your question, and we will be monitoring that as well. We uh, have a mobile app as well. If you look for, once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, you'll see that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. And you'll be able to watch us on your iPhone or Android or iPad or mobile device. And then we also have a channel on Roku and Apple TV. So if you go to your channel store and add us as a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you will be able to watch us on your big screen as well. Very exciting for everyone involved. We're on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel, A Reason for Hope. They're on YouTube. That live tab, if you go there, anytime we've been live, it archives there. So if you miss the show or would like to just recap or even check out our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, like I say, anytime we've been live, uh, it will be archived there. So you can use that as a resource. And of course, we're live as we speak on YouTube as well. Don't forget to, to like and subscribe and click on that notification bell 
then you'll get a little prompt when we are live. And again, you won't have to miss anything. Uh, pastor Scott here, who's the, the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, is on Twitter. Uh, you can find him at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. And where he posts, you post daily, huh? You post most multiple times daily. I, I haven't yet today. But oh, but most of the time. Shame on you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he in, in, in that, I have a life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's probably a good thing. Yes. Yes. You're not just, you don't just exist on Twitter yeah. like some people do. Um, but he posts highlights from the show and kind of commentary on things going on in the world and news events um, as it pertains to uh, scripture and end times and prophecy and that kind of thing. So all kinds of good stuff that uh, you would want to follow along with him on Twitter again, Scott R4H, if you are on Twitter yourself. And we're on Rumble as well. That's a newer to us platform, A Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A. We post videos there as well, an archive, and questions of the week, I believe, and all that kind of thing. So if you're on Rumble, A Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A, we'd love it if you would add us there as well. And last but not least, we have an email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com, questions for hope spelled out gmail.com you're welcome to email us there of course anytime we do get to those questions as well if you're joining us on the radio reach radio or another radio affiliate welcome uh, you are listening to the last show we did pre-recorded so just be aware of that but you're welcome to use that email address questions for hope gmail.com and we will get to that question on our next show we're very glad that you're joining us whatever platform whatever method you found us we're glad you're there and again send in your questions get them in early sometimes we do run out of time but if we know how many questions we have we can kind of move things along and uh, try to get to all those today so well with that being said we'd love to usually pause and pray at this point before we go any further pastor scott would you like to pray for us? i would love to great let's do that Let father I, I thank you so much that we can welcome your presence here and i thank you lord that you are so committed to us understanding your word uh, you've not only preserved it miraculously, uh, you've not only made it available to us in languages we can understand, uh, but also you've sent your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Lord, that's what we pray uh, that we would do during this time. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would answer not just the questions presented, but the questions that are really on the hearts that might even be the questions behind the questions, because you know what that's all about, Lord. I pray that we would walk away from this edified, that we'd know your word better factually. I pray we'd be exhorted, that we'd be able to uh, apply it to our lives more uh, effectively, practically, and, and comforted uh, that you personally would reveal to us uh, what your kind intentions are for us, that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving mm -hmm. kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and we invite your presence here. In Jesus' name, mm -hmm. amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. Thank you for that. Uh, was there anything, um, often you give us a bit of an update, things going on in the world, anything to update us on today? Um, well, as, as we mentioned, uh, things uh, seem to uh, be, uh, uh, I guess, heating up uh, in the Middle East uh, between Israel and Iran. Iran doesn't want to take Israel on uh, directly. Uh, it would much rather fight Israel by the strategy they've set up of terrorist proxies uh, like Islamic Jihad and the recent mm. uh, missile war that went on there, or Hamas, which has also had missile wars with Israel. Their 800-pound guerrilla, as far as these proxies are concerned, are twofold. Uh, one of them is the Houthi rebels who uh, operate out of Yemen. Uh, they are the ones that create all kinds of ruckus for Saudi Arabia. And uh, the big one is uh, Hezbollah, uh, which is in Lebanon. 
Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, uh, they put on a, uh, a demonstration before uh, representatives from Yemen and Syria uh, about the techniques they were going to use to invade northern Israel uh, and uh, not only take certain towns and uh, eliminate them, but kidnap the people who are involved, that that's part of their strategy because they know uh, that uh, the Jewish people's commitment to each and every individual and leaving no one behind, they see as a weakness that could be exploited. And, uh, and so uh, that's going on. Uh, Amir Sarfati, as we mentioned, has uh, some uh, pretty interesting updates, some things he can share, some things he can't share uh, about uh, the uh, preparations uh, for a preemptive strike. Uh, it's very interesting how uh, when uh, Menachem Begin was the prime minister of uh, Israel, uh, Syria uh, built, them, built a uh, reactor at a place called Osiric. Uh, the Israelis didn't wait around for Syria to begin to enrich uranium and things along these lines moving towards a bomb. They uh, preemptively struck the Osiric uh, nuclear reactor site and leveled it and uh, certainly took out a threat. Uh, there are those who believe that Benjamin Netanyahu is a, uh, not only a student of history, he was also part of the team that took the initiative to rescue uh, the uh, raid on Entebbe that went on there when uh, terrorists kidnapped an entire uh, plane and flew it to uh, Uganda under Idi Amin. Uh, and uh, it does appear that uh, what they may be preparing for is a preemptive strike, uh, not uh, against, uh, say, Hezbollah, but against uh, Iran itself. Uh, the Iranians would dearly love to see Israel get involved in these skirmishes with these proxies because as long as Israel is fighting Hezbollah, it can't go after Iran with the single-mindedness that such an operation would require. Uh, and so I think what we're going to see probably in the next couple of weeks or so is some kind of engagement uh, between uh, Hezbollah and uh, Israel and uh, that is uh, no minor threat. Uh, at last estimation, uh, intelligence sources indicate that uh, Hezbollah has over 100,000 very sophisticated rockets that can strike with pinpoint accuracy, as opposed to, uh, say, the rockets launched uh, by Islamic Jihad that uh, kind of fit into the old uh, saw about I shot an arrow in the air and where it lands I know not where. Uh, these uh, would be very targeted attacks and it would be positioned to be able to hit the larger cities of Israel uh, in the north, uh, industrial cities like Haifa, uh, commercial cities like Tel Aviv, and even uh, Jerusalem to a certain extent, although I believe the Muslims will be very, very careful uh, about attacking Jerusalem because they would not want, say, a stray missile to take out the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So, uh, you know, what we're going to see, I think, is an exchange between Hezbollah and uh, Israel. We've seen one between Hamas and Israel. Now we've seen one between Islamic Jihad and Israel. Now, uh, I think next on the agenda is going to be uh, the Mad Mullahs trying to distract Israel by turning loose uh, Hassan Nasrallah, the, uh, the head honcho, and uh, his goon squad. Uh, that is uh, set up for such a thing in uh, Lebanon. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem uh, for sure, and uh, we will continue to keep you updated about uh, anything going on along that line uh, if it breaks. Uh, the IDF did carry out a raid in uh, Nablus today uh, and took out an Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade 
uh, unit uh, that was operating in a refugee camp in Nablus in the northern West Bank. Uh, three Palestinian terrorists were killed and six more were wounded. Uh, weapons were confiscated, suspects were arrested, and an explosive lab that was set up there was destroyed. So uh, in uh, other news, that's just like Thursday in Israel. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So Thank you. Keep them in prayer. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for keeping us updated on that. My goodness, these are certainly interesting times that we live in. Yep. Um, well, we have some questions coming in. You guys ready to jump on into those? Let's do it. You ready? Yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> he looks very ready. Yeah. <laughs> that is the, the face of a ready man. Yes. That right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, question from Vona. We get some great names on this. Uh, great questions and great names too. Uh, Vona. Uh, was at the zoo in California with my friend who is an atheist and we saw something incredible. The gorilla was walking upright like a human and the zookeeper explained, this is how it works. In a million years from now, it will develop a voice box. Uh, her friend said, uh, pretty cool, how huh? You Christians don't believe in science. I didn't know how to respond. What should I have said? Thanks. Well, wait a million years. The gorilla could give you a reply, but uh, apparently <laughs> yeah. we're all limited to around a century or so if we eat right, are lucky, and don't interact with too many more atheists and have an aneurysm. When it comes to uh, sarcasm over, when it comes to the sarcon, Sark off. When it comes to this whole charade of you don't believe in science because someone in a field of environmental biology, let's say, being generous for that zookeeper to take it on themselves to make this sort of claim, we first need to understand there are two big differences between historical claims and observation. When we're observing history that isn't a million years from now, that is something that's taking place actively in the present. If you're going to ask, well, one day it'll develop a voice box, that's a statement of faith because of some assumptions that you're making about naturalism, not something that's actually observed in nature. And too many uh, episode episodic uh, movies of the Planet of the Apes genre. Yeah, mm -hmm. and <laughs> that again required some uh, intelligent design to alter their genome a bit so that they could also walk upright, but that's not Even in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So rec recognize, first of all, when they just throw out of hand these very poorly thought through slogans, there is no good answer because it wasn't even a good statement. If they're going to uphold their worldview, this is from their perspective, it's going to be just about as meaningful to you as it sh would be to them if you were to look at that gorilla and say, wow, God really designed that animal to function well. A, they don't assume that there is a God. B, they don't grant the premise that there was a designer or an intent to make a gorilla look like that. C, they're coming at it from a whole different paradigm. And fourth, when you made that statement, it wasn't meant to be a jab. It was something that you just admired. If they come from an evolutionary worldview, if they make the fundamental claim that there absolutely is no God, then they're not going to observe the world with any sort of objective purpose apart from what they decide or what's handed to them by people they have chosen to respect for what reason they'll have to explain. So when it comes down to it, don't feel ashamed if you don't have a snappy, apologetic answer every time someone brings up abiogenesis, macroevolution, naturalism, or other words that none of us can spell. It comes down to the fundamental assumptions that we're making. And if you want to have better conversations with them, maybe you can get down to things they actually care about because from the sound of it, that wasn't intended to mean anything apart from 
just a jab at you. And if that's the case, I would hopefully uh, view your friendship in light of the fact that you both understand that you were just joking around, that you didn't uh, have to take that personally. I have atheist friends too. They understand where I'm coming from. I understand where they're coming from and the understandings abound. But in that case, there was no need to be understood. Don't feel ashamed if you had uh, a blank moment because that was a very blank statement too. Yeah, um, well, a couple things I'd say. Uh, as far as uh, claims that are made, in, was this in San Diego, by the way? Um, uh, they just said California. California, so, yeah. so I would assume uh, that sort of thing. You know, uh, I had an interesting encounter at uh, the uh, San Diego Zoo. Uh, the Museum of Natural History that is right next to the San Diego Zoo. Uh, we took our children there, and this was when uh, uh, Jurassic Park uh, was all the rage, the first one, that lizard film, as I like to refer to it as. Uh, and, uh, and so they had a presentation about the T-Rex at, uh, at this, uh, this complex. Now, at the IMAX theater that they had in this complex, they uh, showed us a documentary that was put together about the T-Rex and how the animation that was done uh, on Jurassic Park created some scientific breakthroughs as far as the understanding of the T-Rex is concerned. Uh, they showed that uh, the, the skeleton and the way that it was put together and the, the mass of the body was such that uh, the T-Rex could not move quickly at all, that mm -hmm. it was not as it was portrayed uh, you know, this running at 30 or 40 miles an hour yeah. uh, apex uh, predator. Right. But rather, uh, if it tried to run that fast, and because the mass of its body was up top and it has the little arms that can't really break the fall, if it ever fell over like that, it would probably kill itself. So, you know, the conclusion in the uh, IMAX movie that we saw uh, was that uh, the T-Rex is not an apex predator, but rather an opportunistic Mm. Uh, ambush kind of uh, a, a feeder yeah. would wait for you know some little creature to come along high the bush and just get you know yeah. get them without the big chase scene uh, and and eating the lawyer at the end yeah. as we saw in the movie well, that brings me some comfort uh, yeah know, if so, I ever run into one yeah but <laughs> wait but anyway but wait there's more so we watched the IMAX theater then uh, because you know we had the kids there and it was kind of a big deal they had a um, audio animatronic uh, picture of T-Rexes and Velociraptors, you know, animated robots, yeah. these sort of things. So you could see what they were like. Mm -hmm. And uh, the docent from the San Diego Zoo, uh, who was also a paleontologist from the University of San Diego, uh, began to regale us with uh, facts about the T-Rex. Said, oh yes, the T-Rex uh, uh, was an apex predator, uh, was able to run 30 to 40 miles an hour <laughs> and uh, was certainly the most uh, terrifying uh, you know, creature of its time and all this stuff. Well, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife, Pam, I raised my hand and said, <laughs> excuse me, um, excuse me um, you know, you're telling me that this creature is able to run at uh, 40 miles an hour as an apex predator and so on. I just got out of the IMAX movie that you guys are showing up there where they said that the bone structure is all wrong for that and that if it tried to run at any kind of speed, it would probably fall over and kill itself. And so it was an opportunistic ambush kind of feeder. Which one's right? <laughs> and the guy just stared at me like, um, <laughs> um, uh, well, um, are there any other questions? Right, yeah. <laughs> Didn't so, get that memo. So, you know, here's the problem that you run into. I mean, to this day, you know, 
everything I see regarding a T-Rex, including as they're portrayed in uh, sequels of that lizard film, <laughs> is that they're the apex predator that runs at 30 to 40 miles an hour, even though they know, you know structurally and engineering-wise, uh, can't do it. Yeah. Not possible. But let's not get in the way of the narrative that's going on here. And why do you have in one complex and it's not like you know you know those born agains and and so on are doing their propaganda up on the top story and you know you get the real facts down you know these are the same secularists that are promoting both of these points of view why are they so incredibly divergent it's because as you mentioned sean this is not what we call observational science this is what we call historic science it is taking artifacts that we can see in the here and now and by attaching a line of assumptions to these artifacts, uh, coming up with a just-so story about things that are just not observational. It, you know, again, for something to be scientific, it has to be observable, testable, and repeatable. None of these just-so stories about what happened and what the T-Rex ate and, you know, and so on, none of these things are verifiable. Why? Because we don't have T-Rexes running around to do the observational science. Mm -hmm. It is speculation. To add to this, uh, Montana State University, uh, paleontology, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, dug up a, a T-Rex, and uh, lo and behold, while they were uh, uh, cutting a bone on it to fit it into a helicopter to bring it back to the lab, Badlands of Montana up there, uh, they saw something really peculiar about the bones. They went back to the library and tested it and found out that in these bones there was dinosaur guts, collagen, blood vessels, ligaments, and so on that were still intact. Now, this is supposed to be 64 million years old. Yeah. Well, we know that DNA and DNA-based structures are very delicate. They don't stand up well over time. Um, you know, science shows over and over again that unless there is really extraordinary circumstances involved, they don't last more than 10,000 years. Hmm. So is it a 64 million year old dinosaur as we've always been told, or is it something under 10,000 years because you still have these biological structures, physi physiological structures uh, in place in the bone structure. And now they're finding as they examine other dinosaur bones, this is not a one-off. Uh, they're, they're discovering that uh, this happens quite a bit. Well, um, you know what you run into is is this they will you know drop back 10 yards and punt and say well there must be some unknown process that we don't understand quite yet mm -hmm. that preserved these highly complex dna structures for 64 million years because we know that our 64 million year uh dating of these things yep. is true and anything that upsets the paradigm there you go yeah uh, so you know, having said that, don't be intimidated by this stuff. You know, any person who's really a scientist is always going to say the science is never settled. Uh, science is always in flux. Science properly practiced is always questioning things. It's just interesting to me that you can question certain things. You can't question other things uh, in, uh, in these things and continue to uh, be employed and have a grant. Uh, if you say, well, maybe dinosaurs were around less than 10,000 years ago. Ah, you know, who are you? One of those those Bible-thumping creationists. And, right. you know, then the ad hominems begin. And reason the ACLU's the called, you get fired. But remember, Christians dominate the narrative. Yeah. So, you know, the, the I guess what I'd say is this. I You know, I've gotten into conversation with people just this last week because uh, you guys brought up uh, Charles Darwin uh, 
on the program here. You're welcome uh, got, for that. Got involved with all of these very interesting conversations mm. with a lot of uh, religious zealots who believe Darwinism first, Darwinism last, Darwinism forever. Wow. So, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing that I found out in these interactions was when I would ask them questions or point out that they were engaging in logical fallacies. You know, like, for instance, when I would say, well, you know, they say, well, look at all these examples uh, that argue against design. I'd say, well, if you want to see a, re a uh, perspective on all of these fossils from the perspective of design, I highly recommend you go to AnswersInGenesis.org. Oh, you can't go to Answers in Genesis. They believe the Bible's true. That's bad science. That has nothing whatsoever to do with science. <laughs> yeah. You know, whether it's good science or bad science, you got to find out how by reading what the scientists said. And I said, these are PhD level scientists from major universities, not the Billy Bob School of the Bible, uh, that have come to the conclusion that the Bible's view of the world is reliable. And, and really what it kind of comes down to is this, you know, if, if someone brings that up, a, a good thing to point out is to say, look, the reason that you believe, uh, you know, that this gorilla someday is gonna have a voice box and, you know, be able to ride the subway and, and so on, uh, is because you have biases. You believe that uh, evolution is making things every day in every way better and better. A lot of evolutionists don't believe that. Mm. You know, there's no built into the cake idea that evolution is leading anywhere good mm. aside from just allowing a particular species to be able to survive better in cur under current conditions. Yeah. So this idea, you know, the you know the, the parade of monkeys that you see, you know, the little guy yeah. at the beginning that looks like from the barrel of monkeys all the way up to the kind of the hairy sort of, um, I don't know, brawny paper towels guy, and then finally Homo sapiens at the head of the parade. Yeah. Now that's complete speculation. Mm. You know, it, it is not anything that is supported by fact. It is bias because it assumes that evolution is moving in this way where we get progressively better all the time. Yeah. Despite if you watch the laws a few Outer Limits uh, episodes where we all get huge uh, brains coming out of our heads and six fingers and, and so yeah. on and the ability to do telepathy, uh, you know, you, you, you buy the party line. But that's not even really what Darwinian evolution teaches. It's just mm. this just-so story, this, this fictionalization of this idea of evolution that gets sold to the general public. So all of that is just to say, when that comes up, you know, I mean, I, I get suckered in sometimes because I like to point out logical fallacies that people are making, maybe educate them a bit about the fact that they are buying the logical uh, fallacies, you know, again, ad hominem arguments, genetic fallacy, these sort of things that uh, are just peppered through uh, their responses. Uh, but the thing I really encourage you to do when you get involved with a conversation like this, because it doesn't help anybody if you don't do this, bring the conversation back to the person of Jesus Christ. Make sure that he's the focus of what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of the time, maybe even your atheist friend would concede that Jesus uh, was a good teacher. Okay, well, what do you think about what Jesus taught? He considered Adam and Eve uh, to be actual human beings. He said that there was a flood of Noah. I mean, he claimed to be God, and he claimed to have been there at these times as the creator. <coughs> You know, what do you think of that? Uh, what do you think of the, you know, the, well, you know, I actually probably got that wrong. Well, I don't think he got that wrong because, you know, they claimed to be God. He proved it by rising from the dead in Mormon history. Would you like to look at the evidence for that? Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I think if we get it back to the person <coughs> of Jesus Christ in these, these circumstances, then I think the conversations can actually uh, be positive. 
And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that we get caught off guard in these situations is that, uh, you know, we just assume that we have to answer every single possible objection and chase every rabbit trail yeah. that a, uh, a uh, basically a nihilist, someone who doesn't believe there's a God, uh, a complete naturalist who says that there is no need for a designer or creator, uh, someone who believes nothing created everything, which is a logical impossibility, uh, as the basis of their worldview. Uh, you know, we go chasing all these rabbit trails, but if we bring it back to the person of Jesus, we, we say, okay, let's talk about him. Because if we are a visited planet, if God has walked among us and told us what the nature reality is all about, proved it by rising from the dead, we need to pay attention to that. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, so, you know, at, at that point, and Sean, you'll bear witness with this, usually that's when the obscenities start flowing, and there were certainly a lot of obscenities on uh, my timeline, I made it very clear that the minute you go obscenity or ad hominem, you get blocked. Mm. I, it's my timeline, I can do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but, you know, the, the most important thing I would just say to you in this circumstance is bring the conversation back to Jesus, whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, again, uh, Darwinian evolution, uh, whether it's uh, speculation about whether uh, silverback gorillas are ever going to be CEOs of Fortune 500 com companies. Uh, you know, bring the conversation back to the person of Jesus Christ. And, you know, again, be able to present a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and reverence. In other words, we don't want to just win an argument or make people feel like they're idiots. Uh, we want to build a bridge. And the best way to build a bridge is to make sure that Jesus is the focus of all of that. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. So that, that, that's what I do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Verna, thank you. Great question. Hope that uh, helps you out. And again, like you said, it's okay to say, I, you know, I don't let me look into that. I don't know the answer to, to that right now. Let me, you know, and just be humble. And that's that's actually a good way to build a bridge, like you were saying, instead of stressing out that we're not in the moment like this. So, yeah, hope if you're already you friends, you're allowed to mess with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a relationship there. As long so. as there's that working assumption that you're messing, not wounding. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, again, thanks again, Verna. Appreciate that. Uh, question from Yari. It's a bit of a follow-up. We talked yesterday about um, uh, unequally yoked and what that means to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And Yari's asking, um, is it wrong to be unequally yoked in a friendship? Um, should we, how close should we be to friends who aren't believers? Um, or even also, disagreements with secondary issues and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, he said, gave an example. He has another friend who used the passage, don't be unequally yoked because he didn't get vaccinated and his Christian friends did, so he cut ties with them. So do you hear that? We just got blocked on YouTube. All right, now we can start talking. <laughs> now the uh, issue of unequal We, we have gotten blocked for that before. Oh, anyway, yeah, actually a uh, quick segue, fun story. We are still dealing with a community guideline strike against our account because of an official statement made, and I do not hesitate to say this because I'm an instigator like that, uh, that when we were asked a question about whether or not the COVID-19 vaccine uh, produced by Pfizer was the mark of the beast or not, we stated no. And YouTube blocked us for medical misinformation. So you can all take it to the bank and we have paperwork so on our YouTube. The mark of the beast. Yeah, the official policy Sounds of like YouTube it. is that the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine is the mark of the beast and that we are spreading medical misinformation for disagreeing <laughs> with that. Anyway, so when we're uh, talking about the issue of 
disagreements, uh, say political issues, social issues, health issues, uh, negotiable things and saying, well, that's an unequally yoked relationship. No, that means you have two different brains and you're viewing the world through two different perspectives. If you are passionate about certain things through social engineering or not, there's a fine line, I think, and I'll use the word tactfully, but of maturity when it comes to the ability of tolerating a position or a perspective different from your own and still being able to be civil with people. Because when it comes down to it, we automatically assume, especially in the age of the internet, that argument automatically means enemy. It doesn't. In fact, arguments should be the assumption of peaceful living with people because the fact you're exchanging words is why you're not exchanging blows. The moment that words can no longer prevail, we resort to violence. And if you can't function in any other environment than yourself, you won't be able to live with anyone apart from yourself. And that's not Christianity. That's not Jesus. That's not the gospel. So when it comes to how we handle things. Uh, Don't get into sloganeering about unequally yoked. That's referring to marital relationships and the ultimate purpose of that relationship, which is to glorify God and model aspects of subordination and complementation within the Trinity. Uh, If you want to understand biblical passages regarding effectively and meaningfully disagreeing with one another, I'd say look no further than Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, where Paul the Apostle, speaking to the church at Philippi, encouraged two women he names in Scripture, Iodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in what? Not in everything, but in Christ. To understand the things that you do agree on and why those are important, and to understand the secondary details can be sorted out. Now, if they're not letting you live at peace. There's a passage in Romans that notes as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But if we can't allow, and I'm repeating the point because it's important, allow ourselves to disagree with each other agreeably, then that's either a mark of immaturity towards us, the other, or both. And we want to break past that. If on the other hand, we're passionate about certain things, then use that as an opportunity to have your words be grace, but seasoned with salt. Uh, you know, we work with sarcasm like a, you know, woven tapestry t- sometimes on this broadcast, but only because we've dealt with so many unreasonable people. The fact of the matter is, whether that's a fault or a, I guess, opportunity to make an example of unreasonable people, you be the judge and the Lord ultimately. But be very, 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 very careful about the mindset that disagreement equals enemy. That's not true. Yeah, you can argue without being argumentative, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, you know, it's an exchange of ideas. Right. And as long as you kind of have those guidelines and some boundaries, like say, you know, if you know the attacks become personal and we're not talking about ideas anymore, we're not going down that path. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, four-letter words, not that kind of colorful vocabulary. Nothing wrong with that, having those kind of boundaries. But, uh, you know, as far as being equally yoked and can you have... Uh, you know, relations, say a friendship relationship, best friend relationship. You know, I always go back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, where he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covenants or extortioners or, or idolaters, since you would have to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who's sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or reviver reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner not even to eat with such a person mm. 
for what do I have to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. So, you know, Paul's main point that he's making in this set of circumstances is, look, if you've got somebody who claims to be a Christian, names the name of Christ, but they're living in a Christ-denying way, and they've dug in their heels and said, well, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do this. Context of this, by the way, was a guy who was living in sin with his own mom. Right. Yeah. And, and the Corinthian church was like, well, we're so gracious and kind, we're not even going to deal with that. And mm-hmm. Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. This isn't going to go on. This guy's going to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. This soul may be Satan. Never mm-hmm. treated as a non-believer, by the way. But put out of the fellowship, put in a place where the wicked one could kind of slap him around a little bit seems mm-hmm. to be what's going on. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we discover it was good medicine guy repented in fact paul had to say to the church at corinth you got to take this guy back now i mean i realize he's embarrassed you all but take him back and don't add sorrow to his sorrow restore him yeah uh but if there's somebody that claims to be a christian who's like the biggest crook in town uh, the scriptures don't associate with him if there's someone who claims to be a christian who's sleeping around and has been confronted about it and uh, well it's just my thing don't associate with that person not to shame them although maybe a little of that's good, but to let them know that what they're involved with is really serious stuff, and it's going to end up damaging and destroying them. If you're dealing with a non-believer, you know, one of the things that always cracks me up is how Christians seem to have this idea that non-believers should behave like believers. Right. You know, and and when someone says, well, I, I can't believe that. That guy ripped me off on this business deal, and he said I could trust him. Well, is he, is he a Christian? Well, no. Well, no doubt. what yeah. did you expect? <laughs> yeah. You know, well, but they're still good in everyone or something. Well, you know, if you want to get into a yoked situation where you're in a business deal with a non-believer, my professional opinion as an adult child of an attorney is this. Get everything in writing. If you're going to get into a business deal with someone who claims to be a Christian, get everything in writing. Truth doesn't sneak right but it never says in this that you can't have friends that aren't christians it doesn't say that you you know paul says going to have that kind of policy you'd have to leave the world right Right. because it's loaded with non-christians so unequally yoked the idea behind that is committed relationships obviously the marriage relationship being the most committed relationship you can have in view there but you know i think there's evidence to suggest that uh, you don't want to get involved with you know a major business deal uh, with uh, someone who's a non-believer, unless, of course, uh, you've got good attorneys who look over all the contract work. Right, right. So, yeah, very good. That yeah. breaks it down very well. Thanks, Yari. Thanks for being part of the show, and I hope that, that helps you out. Thank you for that follow-up question. Uh, question from Mac D. What is meant by the truth written in our hearts? What is meant by the truth written on our hearts or in our hearts? Well, I, I think that's yeah. a reference back to Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 3, uh, where uh, we are, are told, uh, I know that what God does lasts forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God does it that men should fear before him. Uh, that which has already been and what has been has, has already been, and God requires an account of the past. Uh, he goes on to say that uh, God has uh, placed eternity 
in their hearts. This is verse 11. He made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what Solomon is indicating there is that we are all made in what's called the image and likeness of God. It doesn't mean that God is you know, a certain height and has a certain hair color. It just means that God is personal, and so he's made us personal. God is purposeful, and so we have this insatiable hunger and thirst for purpose and meaning in life. God is spiritual, and uh, you know, even Karl Marx himself uh, had to uh, concede the idea that man is a religious addict, you know, that we, we can't get away from uh, this, this need that we have to have a relationship with God. Mm. And so, you know, King Solomon was ahead of them all. He said, God wrote eternity in your hearts. It's there. Anything you'd add to that? Oh, yeah, just uh, there's a few places it could be referencing Jeremiah 31 and the New Covenant. I'll write my law in their hearts. It's quoted again in Hebrews. There's a few ways that it's used, not always for the better. Uh, the assumption that, well, people know the right thing to do, which isn't true. Or it could be referencing the idea of, well, that's just what I feel is true, which also isn't true. So what is meant by the truth written on our hearts depends who's saying it ask him to clarify those are some options you have two good ones two bad ones take your pick yeah. <laughs> a combination of all yeah what is our heart it's, it's, when the bible talks about our heart because obviously it's a muscle that pumps blood around our body but it's used you know different uh, differently what what does that mean when the bible talks about our heart same thing it oftentimes means with stomach as well and my right. guts uh the idea of the emotional core. yeah does that sound like guts yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember them making that sound yeah. once when yeah. we were preparing the chicken but um the idea is the emotional core of your being so your yeah. motivating factors your passions your hopes your dreams that's what it's meant by the heart right yeah in hebrew it's word leb and it carries that idea of the innermost part of man it, it's mm. more of a, a generalized term because it can uh, refer to the intellectual side uh, of man. It can refer to the emotional side of man. It can refer to the relational, even the spiritual side of man, depending on, on the context there. Hebrew is a uh, more poetic language mm. than Greek, less specific. Mm. And, and so you'll run into words like this where the context really is everything as far as defining what its meaning is. Uh, in Greek, it's the word cardia. We get our term cardiogram from that, or mm. cardiology. Mm -hmm. And uh, interestingly, uh, the idea of the heart uh, in, uh, in Greek almost leans more towards the intellectual more than anything else, mm. um, the, the uh, rational side of man. Now, obviously, it carries that generic idea of the inner man versus the outer man, shorthand for all that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right. You know, with everything that is within, you know, with everything that is in me, you know, I'll bless his holy name, that sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the danger you kind of get into uh, sometimes is that uh, people will try to take these Greek words and uh, sort of specify them to the point where um, they're really kind of saying something that the Bible doesn't say. You mm -hmm. know, for instance, uh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, uh, may the Lord sanctify you in, in, in completely, and may your spirit, soul, and body uh, be preserved blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. They said, well, you see, man's a three-part being. It's spirit, soul, and body. And just as God's a superior trinity, man's an inferior trinity. And these people would be called trichotomists. That's the, uh, the highfalutin term for all of that. 
There's others who say, okay, but what about where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Mm -hmm. Does that mean we're four-part beings? Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, building a huge doctrine on that, yeah. uh, I, I don't think is really super wise. There are aspects of the inner nature of man that each of these words uh, will pay attention to, like your rational, what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your guts, the splagna, as, as we said. Uh, but all of these things fit under one category. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship. Yeah, amen. So, Great. Yeah. Good stuff. Magdi, thank you for that, for that question. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, topic and study. Um, that's good to know the context, like, like you say, look at the context that it's being used. Um, I think about as well, the Bible says the heart is the most wicked thing as well. So it's like used in positive and very negative as well. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> question. Who can know it? <laughs> that's right. Who can know it? Yeah. Uh, question from Henry. Henry to you is the name. Does baptism bring you closer to Christ? I have never been baptized, but I have a relationship with Christ. So is baptism a salvation issue? Does it bring us closer to God? No, yes, <laughs> in regards to your questions. But when it comes to the fundamentals, uh, baptism just means to immerse, and it was a way that people would ceremoniously dedicate themselves to God. If you want to get into the history behind it, it can be pretty neat. But when it comes to why Jesus not only modeled a baptism in Mark uh, chapter 1, for instance, John the Baptist said, I should be baptized by you. You're coming to me. He said, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Not that Jesus was a sinner before he got baptized, just like you're not saved because you haven't been baptized yet, but this wasn't the right thing to do. That Jesus was laying aside, we'll explain this in a second, his ministry to his family, to his community, his role as a carpenter, being baptized and then equipped the spirit descending in him on a dove, so to speak. And Not so to speak, but thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. this is my beloved yeah. son in whom I'm well pleased. But the idea behind that was it was a dedication of himself for a new course of life, if you will. When uh, priests, for instance, would go into the temple, they'd be baptized because they were setting themselves aside for the purpose of ministry. Even if they were going to bring in utensils, they'd baptize them and then dedicate them as holy or set apart literally in that setting and then if they wanted to t use the utensil for something other than the temple they'd baptize it again and yeah. make it um secular that common the, yeah. yeah common yeah. we'll get to that in another question here in a second but the idea of baptism being a salvation issue is usually something that people emphasize in the confusion of sanctification and salvation of obedience natural obedience to jesus and what a relationship with jesus is all about salvation is accomplished through one thing and one thing only faith in the finished work of jesus christ coming to him on his terms believing that he is god and how he proved it a resurrection from the dead and Romans 10, 9 through 10 states as emphatically as possible, you believe that, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes into salvation. With the mouth, one confesses unto repentance. On and on it goes. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You can note the references. But when we're asking ourselves the question that uh, the first Finding Nemo film ended when they finally escaped the dentist's office, now what? Yeah. That would be 
at the top of the list. Why? Because that was one of the things that Jesus modeled for us. So when we then ask the question, so which is it? Is it a salvation issue or a sanctification issue? Because there's people who are really passionate about this stuff. Where I usually try not to go is where they've been for decades at this point. You say, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and he would say, yeah, it's a valid example, but they've been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt. They can dance around and, you know, go into the Greek and say, well, in that specific instance, we have the direct verbal confirmation, but in every other instance, Jesus noted baptism saves. Well, okay, why is it then that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle made a clarification, I did not come to baptize, but to preach the gospel? and then downplays the whole act as if that wasn't really that big a deal as far as the ministry that he had to fulfill. He wasn't interested in people getting saved. He wasn't interested in saving the households of anyone other than the people that he mentions just kind of off the cuff and almost considers it secondary to the fact that the gospel (laughs) is what's going to save you. These are the things that I usually try to do. I either anticipate arguments or defang them before it gets into an unreasonable conversation. So, yeah, if you want to act like Jesus, that'd be a place to start, but it no more makes you saved than doing anything else that's Christ-like. If, on the other hand, you'd say, well, Jesus did this, so I'm kind of following that guy. That was his first step, by all means. But, no, if it's like, you know, I don't have a relationship with Christ, and get baptized. You have one less thing in common with him, and we try to narrow that list as much as possible before we see him. That's how we view it. Yeah, you know, I think the best way to look at it is it's a uh, get to, not a got to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thief on the cross made it into heaven. Uh, didn't have to get down from the cross and get baptized first and then put back up there, and then today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, is by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But Ephesians 2.10 says, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, notice it doesn't say we're created by a good work. Yeah. You know, we are created for good works. And, you know, if you don't have Christ in your heart, you, you haven't put your faith and your trust in him, you can get baptized all day long, and all you're going to get out of it is wet. But if you belong to the Lord, obviously, uh, you're going to want to do the things that please the Lord. You know, I, I would just ask you the question, uh, why do you pray? You know, why do you go to church? You know, why do you give if, if you give on a regular basis? Well, these are all things that are pleasing to God. Yep. And he has shown you a man what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You know, Micah 6, 8 kind of gives us that lay down. Why am I interested in doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with my God? Because I love him, yep. I, and I want to do things that, that, that please him. I want to do things that bring a smile to your face. Can I say to you, if you get water baptized because you, you want to please Jesus, it's going to bring a smile to his face. Yeah. God, God is going to lift up his countenance on you, and I can't think of any better reason to do it. That's right. So Yeah, that's great. Like Sean said, simple obedience. I love that. Sometimes we overthink things, you know. Um, you know, The Lord's instructed us to get baptized. What does it mean? Is it salvation? Does it mean this? Am I closer to God? But just that simple obedience out of love. Yeah, and, and, and I'm really sympathetic to this because it was a good maybe three years after I got saved that I finally got water baptized mm. uh, because I was kind of confused about it seemed kind of churchy to me. I uh, didn't really know the Bible all that well, but the more I studied and read the Bible, the more I really realized it was something that I needed to do, and it was something God honored in my life. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, I get why people put it off, but, but when we take a look at the example in the book of Acts, we see that, uh, man, like the Ethiopian official 
as soon as he understood who Jesus was and what he'd done for him, he says, look, <laughs> there's, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Yeah. Water out in the road that goes through Gaza uh, probably wasn't really the most inviting water <laughs> you ever wanted to be into. But he's got, man, let's do it. Yeah. You know, why? Because he loved the Lord. The right. love of Jesus was in him. Wanted to express that love. Yeah, so. absolutely. Great stuff. Thank you, Henry. Appreciate your question today. I have a question came in through our website, and I apologize for my ignorance. I have no idea how to pronounce your name. It's a lovely name, but I don't know how to say that. I'm not sure where you're from. But his question is, his or her <laughs> question is, I don't know when Jesus, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Could be another hundred years. That's true. Um, what will they teach in schools then? How worse will the, wor the world get? Um, also, will the dome of the rock be removed in order for the temple to be built? Or will they be will they be side by side? Okay, I, th I think the essence of the question is um, how much worse can things get before the rapture happens? Worse than they are today, we do ourselves no favors emotionally, psychologically, physically, or so or any other way by worrying about anything other than today. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six: Don't worry about tomorrow or a hundred other tomorrows or however many days fit into a hundred years. But tomorrow will worry about its own things. To each day is sufficient for its own trouble. They're already teaching stuff weird in schools now. We waste time wondering what they're going to teach later. We're not going to deal with what the actual issues are. Yeah. As far as what's going on in the Dome of the Rock, uh, interestingly enough, it's been destroyed and rebuilt around 20 times since it was first erected as a monument, as a victory over the uh, Arab conquest of Jerusalem. I say Arab, not Muslim, because no one called themselves Muslims back then, but that's another topic. Um, I think it's actually personally hilarious. You look it up. Do you know what the majority of the times the Dome of the Rock was destroyed on the Temple Mount as a result of? Earthquakes. Yikes. That kills me. <laughs> but um, if we're going to ask the question, you know, oh, what, where are they going to put the, the temple if the Dome of the Rock's taking up all that real estate? Well, first off, understand why the Dome of the Rock was built to begin with. Muslims are little children when it comes to the way that they conquer and the way that they flaunt around their victories. Because in order to establish this was given to them by Allah in victory, the whole might makes right concept, they build shrines and areas of prayer on top of it and then enforce Sharia law. And if a non-Muslim, or why would a Muslim, but anyone tears down those Muslim shrines, then it's an affront to Allah, cause for a war. No one wants to do that. You live under the grip of fear. Now, when they built the Dome of the Rock, it wasn't the Dome of the Rock, it was a fairly recent innovation built around, I think, 80 or so years after the time of Muhammad. But what's interesting about it is that it was meant to accompany the farthest most mosque. There's never a reference actually to Al-Aqsa, the center. It's the furthermost mosque that was accompanied what they call the Mirage, uh, Muhammad's night vision, which no one actually believes he actually went on unless you're lying to people and haven't read the Quran or both. But the uh, idea of this shrine is not just to show Muslim dominance over the region, but you also notice if you visit it, they have a bunch of little shrines all around it and stuff. Mm. And the reason for it is because they couldn't figure out where the temple actually was. All we have is the retaining wall and the property, essentially, that it was built on top of when the D Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. So they basically just peppered the whole thing with little mosques, just basically a direction of prayer, a Qibla, and to point that towards Mecca and remind people this is where you pray. Well, 
that's going to be taken out either one of two ways. The fundamental collapse of Islam, which is very near on the horizon due to the advent of the internet, or the fact that since they're towing line with Satan in heart and mind anyway, when he takes power through the Antichrist, they'll happily cast that aside in favor of whatever policy he has in store for them. Another option is given to us in Ezekiel 42. This is what I was referencing when I said the common could have other annotations to it. Uh, in verse 20, it notes that Ezekiel was given a rod to measure the span of this interesting temple, and it says that there was a measurement on four sides that had a wall around it, 500 cubits long and wide, to separate the holy areas from the common. Now that's in my New King James translation. What is it actually translated as? Profane. Right. Stuff in affront to God. And if you go, you can't because they're open and transparent like that. Uh, but if you see photos, for instance, the inside of the Dome of the Rock, or at least the most recent innovation of it, I believe uh, Saddam Hussein's responsible for the most recent construction of it, uh, the Gold Dome and all that stuff. He's oh, the, the, one who the built King it. of Jordan. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but the idea behind this is an inscription that's fairly ancient that includes an inscription uh, an inscribed part of the Quran in rock that reads a part of the Quran that states, God has not begotten, nor does he beget, far be it from he to have a son. Uh, it's a direct blasphemy against the concept and idea of Jesus being God because God doesn't have a son. Now, whether or not that's a part of the Quran or whether that was incorporated into the Quran and was actually a heretical Christian inscription, you be the judge. But the point of emphasis in all of this is just that. The Dome of the Rock, like Islam, like anything else that's standing in the way <laughs> of prophecy being fulfilled, isn't as firm a foundation as it seems. The fact that people throw violent tantrums because people are praying on top of it is only going to last for so long. You see people getting violent when, as we started the broadcast, with, they can't allow for open conversation. And Islam, with its uh, foundational sources being made public more and more, they're running out of less and less, they're finding less and less room to come up with excuses, and people are starting to buy that. We even have people weeping over the avalanche of apostasy, so don't worry about it. Just like that, we're out of time. Wow. Thank you for all your questions. A great show. We'll see you back here again tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless you. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.